Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know where the afters is? Okay with the cans, everyone. Yeah, got perfect. Volume, okay. Me, yeah. yeah, I'm good. Gonna sit a little bit closer to the mic, my darling. So, all right, you, you can you actually pull that as well. Oh my word! Oh, oh there you yeah. go. Oh, Fully flexible. There we go. Right, so Raw Huntress, welcome to the podcast. Thank the afters cast. I forgot the name of that. Edit. Edit. Edit that out. Edit no, straight no. away. No, good. Keep it in. We'll yeah. leave it in. It's organic. Welcome to the afters cast. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing really, really well. Thank you both very much for having me. Thank you for joining no, us. It's a pleasure. Well. Obviously, I know who you are, and now Sean obviously uh, knows right? yep. who you are. But for those at home who don't, who the fuck are you? <laughs> I think I'm probably like the most random podcast guest that you've had to date. Um, but basically, so my name's Ro Huntress, and by trade, I'm a dietitian. So I've worked as a dietitian for 12 years and work in many different aspects of the nutrition field. But one of my specialist areas is fertility. And that's obviously going to be a key focus of uh, the conversations that we're going to be having today. But I suppose like why I'm here is that me and you are pals. Yes, we've known <laughs> each other. We were just talking about that. Um, 2000 and when did we meet? 2018? Yeah, 17, 18. But we haven't seen each other since 19. I know. And realize it's like four, four years has yeah, passed. Yeah, we've been like oh. online friends. We have been online friends. And I've sent you pictures of my dog on top of your book. <laughs> which we, which Eleanor, which my wife got from the library, which also you guys found. It is funny. a strange a library card. <laughs> yeah. What? 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 I don't know. It just that you're a library goer. You've got to be the only what? person I know with a with, with, with you, a library card. Are you guys judging a book by its cover? Oh, oh. no one even got it. It's Cut fine. that out. Um, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> But anyway, um, four years since we've seen each other, and a lot's happened. I know. And a lot's gone on. What has happened? And um, it's, again, one of the reasons which, um, why I wanted to speak to you today, um, and it's because of um, our, mine and my wife's fertility journey. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you know a little bit about it. Um, you spoke to Eleanor. It wasn't so long ago when, when you actually reconnected. Was it about a month ago or two? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, because obviously she bought my book, got, got my book from the library, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as I knew that you guys were having kind of like issues more latterly, we had a catch up around a month or so ago just yeah. to understand what was going on from like from both sides, uh, just to see if there's anything that we could do to help from like nutrition, lifestyle, supplement perspective, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But before we go into that, mm. um, let's just speak a little bit about your origin story. You know, your uh, you've got your Instagram handle is the fertility dietitian. Nearly. No? <laughs> not good at names. Fertility not, not today. Normally he's on the board. Have you got any notes though? Have you? What is that? No, no, don't tell me. Go on. Rain man. 
I, I, I've, I've said it every <laughs> day for the last two weeks. Go on, just Go fill, on. fill the blank. Fertility.dietitian.uk. Oh, uh, so come on. You were close. Give me that. Yeah, you were close. 90% of the way. Okay. Um, and just, yeah, just tell us a little bit about the origin story. How, how did you get into this journey, this career? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so as I say, became a dietitian like 12 years ago. And then when you like become a dietitian, you kind of do. So it's kind of like medical nutrition. So you just pull that a bit closer to your face for us. So you have uh, like placements in hospitals and things like that, working across all different medical conditions. Um, And then as you kind of like evolve as a dietitian, you find areas of health that you're particularly interested in. And so like full disclosure, I'm 37 now. When I was like late 20s, there was quite a lot of my friends who were starting to like access IVF, like even at the age of late 20s. And then they were coming to me, knowing that I was a dietitian and saying, okay, I'm going through this at the moment. Um, I'm struggling, like I'm not getting success. And lots of people want natural ways in which to like optimize their optimize their fertility. So they were saying to me, you know, what 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 can we do? What can we do? Diet, lifestyle, et cetera, supplements. And then, you know, I at the time knew the basics, but fertility nutrition is actually really, really specific. So I was like, I don't have the exact answers as to the supplements that you need. So I took it upon myself. I was like, this is an area that really needs representation where there isn't representation at the moment. So I just spent years basically looking at the evidence base and going into like all the papers that I possibly could. And it's evolved from there really. So then I set up, so in uh, 2020, I set up the uh, my Instagram page. So fertility.dietitian.uk. And originally it was just kind of like a, a platform just to share evidence-based information on nutrition supplements lifestyle to support fertility and then from that has kind of like evolved a business so uh, I support patients on their fertility journey so both you know men women couples um, and also I now like educate healthcare professionals as well because there's such little like so many healthcare professionals want to support people in this field but there aren't there isn't the courses or the education to support them so I now offer that and then as you know like I then published the book last year so and the publisher Dorling Kindersley, you know, they were the one that had the title and they wanted to to run with it. So it just shows that it's a conversation that's really starting to gain some traction now. So many more people are interested it inter- interested in it and want to know what they can do. So yeah, it's just kind of like led me to where to where I am now. Uh, and yeah, I'm just I'm just kind of like really enjoying it. And we we may or may not touch upon it later in the episode but i'm going to be like freezing my eggs next month as well so it's oh, good wow. like a bit of like a a personal side to the to the journey so now i'm getting to put everything that i know you know like from the nutrition supplement side like into practice so i'm like living the the patient journey as well now if you like that's amazing and also i, and I have noticed you're documenting that as well and putting it on publicly for people to to see that journey uh, and i think that's mm. inspirational because that's a very personal thing to be talking about publicly anyway. Obviously, because you're passionate about it and it's part of your career and a part of your life, obviously it makes sense, but it's still very brave for you to do that and put that on socials, I think. For yeah, I know. Well, I think like, um, <laughs> full disclosure again, um, kind of like freezing eggs because was in a long-term relationship, didn't quite go to plan, uh, so didn't quite have the expected outcome. So I was like, okay, what's plan B? It seemed like egg freezing was a was a good thing to do. And I think, you know, we know that on Instagram, it's very much like a picture perfect life. Mm. And I think it's actually like really good to show vulnerabilities and actually when things haven't quite gone to plan, because so many women go through that and, you know, men can have their fertility struggles as well. But I think when you actually document and share, it makes people in those positions feel less alone. Um, so, yeah, I've had like really good reception from sharing it so far and I'm really yeah happy to have done so and will continue to do so like both the good and the bad yeah so I, I, I love how you put that as well about the vulnerability about putting that out there is is making people in that same situation not feel alone like, i've never looked at it like that before yeah. but it was absolutely wonderfully put thank you and that's kind of another reason why i wanted to have this conversation mm. you know people might think we're only so many episodes into the podcast you've had djs on you've had people in the music industry and now you're speaking <laughs> to a, a fertility dietitian what's the angle there mm. And I'm going to be showing some vulnerability today because my journey, mean mine and my wife's journey um, through fertility has been a long, difficult, painful, um, beautiful at times, but very difficult journey. And I have at points found it difficult to speak to people about it or not knowing who to speak to. Mm. I've got a great friendship. I've got a really tight friendship group, but as a man, I sometimes didn't know how far to, 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 to divulge. 
and um obviously this is a complete opposite to that i'm mm-hmm. literally telling everyone who's going to listen to this podcast but i think this conversation needs to happen um so i, I, I want to go score straight into it because i want to basically go through my journey and then along that along the way i'll kind of you, know, you can interject and i'm going to ask you a lot of questions today because there's a lot of questions that i know the answers to now but i want them repeated so people at home don't feel that they're alone mm-hmm. who are going through this not even just that we spoke before this and I was saying to you, Sean, obviously this is not something that you've had to deal with personally, but I've been in that position before. And when me and my wife started this fertility journey, if you want to call it, um, I realized how much I didn't know about any of this. Mm. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know how IVF, wor- I had no idea what IVF, I knew what it was, but I didn't know how IVF worked. I didn't know that, I always assumed it was the woman's fault that uh, you couldn't have babies and the, the men were sweet, you know? Mm. You just do your thing and then it's fine, but that's not the case. Um, a lot of these things aren't talked about. So um, so yeah, I'll, I'll go straight into it. So um, me and my wife, we decided we were gonna start for a family. It was in lockdown actually. So we were, um, we're living, so this is, a, I mean, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I'll, I'll start again. This is so people who are, um, who haven't listened to that p- p- episode can understand. When lockdown happened, we went to, it was actually before, three months before, I was with um, a manager at the time, who you know, um, and um, we were um, planning a whole set of uh, tours. I had a South America tour, I had an Australia, Bali, New Zealand tour, all locked in. So I was gonna move back to my mother-in-law's with Eleanor, That'd be weird if it wasn't with Eleanor. Um, for four <laughs> months, for four months, do these tours, which was going to accrue X amount of pounds, which was a decent amount. That was going to be the deposit for a house. Two weeks before I was supposed to go to Ecuador to start at Lost Beach Club, um, lockdown happened. So everything in the diary got cancelled. My agents were like, it's okay. Three three to six weeks, everything will be back to normal. <laughs> it was fucking, everything was sacked off for months, right? Obviously as performers, we couldn't perform. So everything I was supposed to make went went to shit. So I had no plan B or anything. So I was literally at my mother-in-law's with no plan B, no money, all that stuff. So we're like, well, we've got this time now before things go back to normal. Why don't we just, why don't we make, use this time and like we'll, we'll try for children because we don't know what's going to happen. Eleanor has been on the pill for years since she was 16 or 17 or whenever it was. She's, she's been... Um, on the pill, so she didn't know how long that's going to take to come off the pill, and then the effects that would have. And I didn't know any of that. I thought you you miss one pill, and you come you like, you have sex once and you become pregnant, and it's not that fucking easy. Trust me. And um, so Eleanor obviously you know stopped stopped that, um, and we tried for about nine to twelve months, and we weren't having any luck. And at that point, we'd also moved out of the mother-in-laws, luckily, because that was bit weird all the time trying to have children at the mother-in-laws <laughs> got a bit intense um so anyway we, we got our own place we we're renting a place down down the road um we were we were set up but at the same time we were like everything is kind of falling into place but this fertility thing is just not what's going on something's got to be happening because we you know we're, we're doing we're doing all we could and it just wasn't happening so eleanor said i'm gonna go and get some tests but i think you should too and my response was i gotta get tests mm-hmm. now surely if there's a problem I'm sure it's going to be like with you. And that was my re- reflex. Do, have you ever found that that's that kind of a response? Or, I mean, this was years ago. This is three, four years ago. But that, that was my natural response, that yeah, it was going to be it, It's what society assumes, but it's also what's been put out there to society, that everything's, that everything's on the woman. Yeah. And actually research shows that up to 50% of cases of infertility, like male factor, plays a part in up to 50% wow. of cases. I didn't know it was 50 yeah, didn't know it was that high. 50. Yeah. Wow. I know. And it's like, because basically, you know, the, there's there's lots of different factors that can affect it. It's getting pregnant in the first place. The time taken can all be influenced by male fertility. But what people also don't realise is uh, miscarriage. Because when a woman is carrying the baby, then it's thought, oh, well, if there's a miscarriage, then that has to be the fault in inverted commas of like of the woman but actually it can be due to you know the integrity or the quality of the sperm that can still play a role and can have an effect on miscarriage as well so So yeah it carries on all the way across the journey even if yeah so you think you've you've, because you guys have got pregnant it has to be on her if there's Mm -hmm. a miscarriage yeah that again that's a misconception as well which people just don't know but again you you wouldn't know unless you were doing this thing this Mm -hmm. is what i'm trying to get across is you, you we have learned so much about this but only because we've been in the thick of it so anyway, I'll, I'll I'll kick back in there. So 
we went for some tests. Eleanor went and had a high cozy. Mm-hmm. Is that like a? I think it's a scan. They, they put. Do, do you know what the high cozy is? Where they put like. Um, I think it's like they put a dye through the fallopian tubes and then they do a scan to see if there's any irregularities. I might have got that completely wrong. People who are listening know what that is. It's something like that. But I went. I went to a. Um, a fertility clinic can't remember where it was only half an hour from me and i went and just assuming i was going to do a, a sperm sample and just get a sperm result back okay and i did i did that i did a, a sperm te- a sperm analysis test and it came back that there was uh, low normal forms mm-hmm. so everything else was great high sperm count everything was great but it was low normal forms and the guys at the clinic were like oh like you only need one sperm to be pregnant to, to become pregnant so it's not a problem and I was like, oh, sweet. Okay, so that's the only one thing that was low on there, but it's something that they'd say and don't worry about. So we, we didn't, we didn't worry about it. So we kept trying and kept trying. And then I was like, okay, something's still not right. So I went back to the same clinic and they said, right, this is, is a doctor called, I'll give him a big up because he really helped me, Dr. Jonathan Ramsey. And he, um, he's known as the, the King of Balls, actually. That's his nickname <laughs> in the industry. The King of- <laughs> that was also your nickname in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> the king of knackers. <laughs> um, so he he said, right, you need to do these tests. Um, so it was a plethora of tests. It was a scan. I had to do DNA fragmentation test, all these other things. It was like four tests. The scan was fine. Everything was fine. But the DNA fragmentation test came back as uh, really high DNA fragmentation. So um, essentially, how to put that in layman's terms is um, the the sperm quality themselves is, is degraded, <coughs> so whether the tails are misshapen, the heads are misshapen, am, am I getting that right? Or so in terms of like the DNA fragmentation, that's more about like, <coughs> excuse me, like the genetic material that the sperm carries. Okay. And when I mentioned about like miscarriage before, having high levels of uh, sperm DNA fragmentation, that can be a, a risk factor for miscarriage. Okay. And that's one of the key things. And as you all know, like when people go for like semen analysis, you get the normal things like count, concentration, uh, motility, morphology, yes. that kind of thing. Yeah. And then they can all be fine, but actually it can be the DNA fragmentation, which is an issue, but that's a separate standalone test. And like, you'll know these things that they're costly mm. as well. So absolutely. So, so I had the analysis and I thought like all those, all those ones you just mentioned mm-hmm. morphology were all great. And yeah. I was fucking buzzing. I was yeah. like jumping, like, this is great. But also then I was thinking, oh, this puts the burden back on Eleanor. But I was full of shit because I didn't know that the DNA fragmentation mm-hmm. was really high. But that test, it took me months after that because it was another 400 and, 450. Yeah. And are these all individual tests as well that you have to take? So that, that plethora of tests I had cost about two grand. Okay. And then from that, they realized that DNA fragment, or the, the normal forms was still, that was the only one that stood out. Then I did the DNA fragmentation, which was about 420 pounds what? on top for one test. But what, you know, just, just thinking, you know, for, for people of low-income families, like what is the alternative for them? Is this something that they can go through the NHS or, you know, is there an alternative for them? Do you know? So generally, so... People can access the NHS, like generally when they've been trying to conceive for say like 12 months and have been unsuccessful because that then deems them as being like having issues with infertility. So then they would go through like the standard tests that we mentioned before, like the the count, the concentration, etc. But like additional tests like uh, the DNA fragmentation that isn't always on the NHS. Mm. And so... So yeah, it, it is why a lot of people turn private, but obviously that's not an option for everybody. Mm. So yeah, there is an issue there. And I think the more that these conversations happen, then you know hopefully more people will listen and more funding will go into the NHS and then to allow for more testing like that to make it open to more people. Mm. Yeah. Um, the, the, there's a company that, uh, the guy that I um, did the, the, the first test through, I've done like three of those fragmentation tests now just because you've got to keep seeing where you are with it. I'll come on to why I did um, extra tests after that. But there's a company called Test Him. I don't know whether you've heard of mm-hmm. them. Yeah. So they're trying to bring these sort of tests t- to the public for a more affordable price. And they're trying to create um, a, a, an alternative because these tests, th- I think it went up from like 350 to 420 in like six months when I was doing oh, it. Wow. These tests are just getting more expensive. And like you said, for the lower income families, mm-hmm. that is impossible. Mm-hmm. And especially like if you're looking at IVF, that's yeah. just a completely out of the question unless, you know, you're in a certain... Like, I'll, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but yeah, it, it, yeah. those tests obviously clearly mm. aren't available for everyone if you haven't got the money. And that comes on to the next part of this, which was because the DNA fragmentation was high, um, Dr. Ramsey said, you're going to have to have a varicocele uh, operation. So I did the scan 
the second scan and they said that you've got um, a varicose fin, which is <laughs> going to go quite de a bit of detail here, but it's a build, and it's probably, you can tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but it's a buildup of blood vessels around the area where the sperm are. So it's essentially creating lots of heat where the sperm are and it's making the sperm deformed. So that's what, this was the theory. It's all theory, right? So mm -hmm. they're just trying to pinpoint things. Some people say it could be heat from going in saunas and wearing tight boxes because that heat creates the heat that destroys the sperm. For me, apparently, I had one, they measured it, the, the size of the vein. It's basically under your knacker. <laughs> it's on the bottom, bottom of your ball. And it, they basically said on the left side, it's really big. You're going to have to get it removed. That's not covered by mm. the National Health Service. So I was like, I was sitting in this meeting, right? Okay, how much is this going to cost? And they were like, okay, well, we can book you in in three months or two months, but it's going to cost like 4,900 quid. And I was like, well, I've got no options. Like we, we literally, we, this is all we want is to start a family. It really wasn't for us at the time. Money wasn't a thing. It, well, obviously, luckily we have the resources to do it, but that's a lot of money to have an operation. Also, it was not on a whim. It was basically like a, process of elimination mm. it could be this it could be this but this is probably the strongest idea of what is causing the the dna fragmentation the the, the normal forms to be low so we did the operation like i got in really quick two months later had the operation oh that was that was awful so you're awake right you get numbed down there and they go in it through a vein, vein in the side of your leg and into your ball and they basically burn the the varicocele vein. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking, anyone listening now is thinking, fuck that. <laughs> a, a lot of people are going, <laughs> yeah, yeah, when are you going to start talking yeah, about record labels? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so basically, um, so you have to go in through a vein in your leg and it goes in. And when, when they zap the vein, right, and you've been kicked in the balls before, I imagine. <laughs> Indeed, I right? have, yeah. You, you haven't, but no. you definitely have. Can I just tell you a story on that, actually? Please interject. <laughs> Sorry. Please interject. Sorry. Talk about me. <laughs> I, yeah, minutes. well, I actually got, when I was younger, someone actually kicked me in the nuts and it hit a, a, a vein of my nuts. So How old were you? Oh, God. I, I'm maybe 19, 20. I was pit, really pissed and one of my friends kicked me in the nuts and oh. it. And it, it uh, Your ball swollen up. Like, yeah, oh. no, yeah, but like embarrassing. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. I had to get rushed to A&E. Did you? Yeah, and. Obviously, it wasn't life-threatening, but they kept on sending in, right? A life-threatening ball. No, but they kept on sending in, like, loads of doctors to have a look. And I think they were just coming in <laughs> because it would look ridiculous. Like, I was <laughs> late on the Wait, I'm just going to get... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. I was going to get yeah, Dr. Like, Jones to come in. I was in, like, yeah. Go in. Yeah, mate, come look yeah. at this knacker. I was you like, wait, I swear down, I've just seen him in the <laughs> waiting room. <laughs> and I'm laying there with no boxers on. Anyway, it went down and it's all looking normal. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so that's great. Anyway. Thanks. Thanks. For that. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. No, it was class. Please, <laughs> please keep adding humor to this because this is a quite a deep it is, conversation. Yeah, it is. We need some humor. It is. Um, so anyway, when they, they do the operation, they go in and they zap it with this whatever it is and it's basically put chemicals into it and it feels like, like when you got kicked in the balls there, it yeah. feels like that times 100 Ooh. and you're lying on a thing and you can't move and it's the worst pain. But anyway, that went on for like four or five days, the pain, and then it died down. And then they said, um, hopefully, in, and again, it's all hopefully, it's all like hoping, but in six to seven months after the operation, that's when you should get another DNA fragmentation test and then you should see, hopefully see some improvements in the normal forms. Mm. Normal forms was at 1% or below 1% when I did my first test. Six months later, I did another test and it was at 4 or 5%. So it was a significant increase. So we were like, right, something good has happened here. In that time, we also changed our diet. We were eating well. I also was advised not to wear boxes. So for like for months, I wasn't wearing boxes at all. <laughs> I am wearing boxes now. <laughs> um, I wasn't wearing boxes. That was advised just again because yeah. it creates heat and stuff. And uh, no sauna, no steam room, none of that. Um, so just trying everything we can. But anyway, it worked. So at that point, we were told by the um, Dr. Ramsey again that those varicocele veins, the var varicose veins, they can grow back. So there's a time window you've got where wow. the effectiveness of that operation is at its highest point. So we booked in IVF at that point because we'd been trying for, I can't remember, two years maybe or something. And obviously because of these issues that I'd had, we were like, why not make the most of this situation? Because we've just paid 5K 
for this operation. We paid however much money for the test and everything. Let's make the most of this. So we booked in our first round of IVF. And that was in September 2022. Um, and again, IVF, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about my journey, but the, the, this, I didn't know what to expect going in that clinic. I just thought we'd go in. They, I don't know why I, I numbed. I, I don't know, not numbing is not the right word, but I, I played it down in my head at how invasive it was. And like looking back now at how much Eleanor had to go through, it like it kills me. But the the process of IVF, they're, they're lovely. The clinics that we spoke to and the, the, the guys that we, we dealt with were great and they were really professional. But the process of going in and then having to prepare, Eleanor has to be on hormones for however long, injections every single day, twice a day, to then going into the clinic to have the egg retrieval where they go in. So you basically your body's create. Do you want to explain IVF a little bit? Because I'm probably going to butcher it here. But do you want to just? You're doing you're doing a good job. <laughs> In, interestingly, like egg freezing is actually the first half of IVF. Oh, which okay. People don't actually kind of like put the two and two together, but that would make sense. It would make yeah. sense. Yeah. So. In terms of yeah, what the what the woman has to do initially is yeah taking uh, different tablets, and it's all really to help to control uh, the the menstrual cycle um, and control hormones for when basically like the the eggs are released. So first of all, it's tablets, and then they go on to uh, hormonal injections, and it's to basically try to kind of like grow as many eggs as possible uh, safely for then the egg collection yeah um so then that is obviously the point of like egg collection so then for egg freezing those eggs are then just frozen and then i didn't even think about this point but of course you know it's just part of the process but you have to once you do your egg freezing you then have to like pay for storage so like the storage of freezing eggs is like 30 pounds a month so it's like a gym membership (laughs) (laughs) for like your (laughs) eggs just to freeze them but anyway that's that and then so from the from from the from the male side we obviously need need the sperm yeah so our job is easy our job is very mm. easy compared to this is the thing i'm laughing about it but it really isn't la- a laughing matter because yeah. the, the the woman's job in this situation is so like in, invasive isn't it yeah and and then in essence the the sperm and the eggs are kind of like mixed together in like a petri dish if you like um and then like fertilized and then those fertilized eggs are then implanted basically in the in the woman's in the woman's uterus and then the hope is then that that then leads on to a pregnancy mm-hmm. so there's also options as well so when you have embryos um that form you can then freeze them so that if like say the first round of ivf doesn't work you can then do a frozen embryo transfer at a at a later date yeah so that that process is the dampened version which i knew Mm. but then doing it is seeing sat in the waiting room for eleanor had to have her eggs collected she's obviously in a like a hospital gown goes into this room is put under it's 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 general anaesthetic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think general yeah. anaesthetic. She comes out. She's like all over the place. I've got videos of all this. Like she's all over the place. She didn't. She was like, oh, did did we do it? Like it was, it was so emotional to see her come out. But then afterwards, she was she was in pain. She had like it was almost felt like she had like insides were scratched. You know. So mm-hmm. she had. They obviously you they, they go in. They go in and they pull the eggs out. So she had like a little bit of pain there. For, and sometimes she, like a couple of days, she was sat on the couch. She just couldn't move. She was in pain. Um, so that was brutal. And then, I mean, the putting the embryo back was the easy part, you know, compared to the egg retrieval. But we also had ICSI mm-hmm. because um, because of my high DNA fragmentation. They didn't want to take the chance. So basically with ICSI is what they do is they actually go into the sperm sample and they choose. It's fucking crazy how they do this. They go into the sperm sample instead of just doing them like normal we have IVF where they just put the eggs and the sperm together and see which ones, you know, create the embryo. They choose a sperm. Wow. They get one sperm and put the sperm in the egg. And they do that for, say we got we got nine eggs, I think, or nine eggs, but six of them were mature. Mm-hmm. So we got six eggs, which are mature enough. They got six sperm. They got the sperm and they chose the best sperm. It's fucking millions of them. I don't even know how they do that. How do they do that? How, what, and how, how do you get shortlisted in that group of <laughs> million, million little me's? How does that work? I mean, do you know how they chew? Like how they shortlist a sperm? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not an embryologist. <laughs> but basically all of the factors that we spoke about before, so like 
motility you can see basically how how it moves and if it kind of like you know moves in a in the way that you want it to you know tick also like morphology as well um and they yeah they, they just look at like the the, the general okay. quality mm. right because you yeah they just choose them so, so then we we got six eggs i'm probably gonna get this wrong but three of them three of them were um they they kind of got to that embryo stage and or and only two got to Blastocyst. Blastocyst, yeah. which is where they create like 10 or more cells or 16 or more cells or whatever. Um, so we only had two out of nine eggs that we got. We only actually got two which were worthy of going back in. There was one that was growing slightly. No, there was three actually. One was growing way too quick. So they said, even though that's got the blastocyst, that's that's not right. So we put mm -hmm. that aside. So we had two. So we went obviously with, with a live uh, transfer for the first one. And we got pregnant and we lost it. Um, it was very early, but we so we we lost that one, which was really tough because we kind of um, we didn't know because we we'd never done this before. We were telling we told family everything, so we were telling mm. family and our close friends what we were doing. We told them that we got pregnant the same day. It wasn't you know not waiting till like the twelve weeks or whatever it is that people normally do. We just told everyone because we were like this is going to happen first time, um, and it didn't. So we lost that one, and then we had one frozen so i think we got free we got one i think they said it's free for the first 12 months because you paid for the ibf cycle so we had that frozen and it was it was really tough it was like october time we, we found out so or november so we're like let's just leave christmas let's just have christmas because christmas was tough because we just had a loss oh can i talk about this like this before mm. it's fucking hard man um So we um we lost that one and then um we tried again in I think February so we had a f we had a few months to, to to kind of gather ourselves a bit like I'm now gather ourselves and um we tried again in in February again a frozen transfer like we were saying before so we we did a frozen transfer and again same situation we we uh, we got pregnant and then lost it so coming back to what you were saying before about the fragmentation the, the, we don't know. It's all again, it's like guessing. But there might be something there where you know the sperm they they, they they chose maybe had a fragmentation issue. We don't know. We don't know. But that also brings me on to the next part of the journey. So we did we did the two rounds of IVF. We didn't have have any more embryos at that point. Mm -hmm. So um, we said, let's just give it a minute and then let's just try naturally for a bit. So we just had a break. And then Eleanor was do Eleanor has been a champion through this. She's the one that's done all the research and kind of been looking, speaking to people in groups and forums and downloading all the apps and just kind of network. And there's apps like I think there's one called Peanut where you can Yeah. Is that what it is that what it's called? Where it you can like a community. Yeah. App. So it's a, a community for people who are trying to to, to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um and you can, I mean, there's a lot of shit on there. She said there's a lot of like people chatting crap, but there's also some, you, you connect with some people who are on the same journey. It's, it's really helpful for her. So um, she was in all these forums and then she found a comment about a clinic in Epsom that, um, that did um, a treatment called super ovulation. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Super ovulation is essentially where you try naturally, so you don't need it's not all the invasive stuff um, in terms of like getting the eggs out, creating the embryo, and putting them back in. But Eleanor does um, 
same similar things to so hormones and like treatment to, to, to create more eggs. You want to get like, I think the ideal is anything between two and four eggs is ideal instead of one because women only release one egg through ovulation. But the, the idea is to create more so you have more of a chance. So hence the name super ovulation. So we did uh, four rounds of that. Um, and on through every single stage of that, Eleanor has to take, I'm probably getting this wrong, but is is it if, is letrozole a hormone? Mm -hmm. It is. So Eleanor has to take, again, my job, super easy. Uh, Eleanor's, um, not, what am I about? That was IVF. We you try naturally in super ovulation. But basically, Eleanor had to take letrozole. And every single time we did a super ovulation round, it got put up slightly. So she was starting at 0.25 milligrams for the first round, and we weren't successful. The second time, we were successful and we lost it. I might be getting that wrong. It was for the first or the second, but anyway, we had another miscarriage. So at this point, we've had three miscarriages. Mm. But we thought we were onto something because we haven't had to do with the really invasive IVF. Mm. But we've we've we, we got pregnant again, but naturally, only with a little bit of help from the super ovulation. So again, it got to put up from 0.5 to 0.75 for the next round, and we didn't. We weren't successful. And then September just gone. We got this is the fourth round of super ovulation, and. Um, she she ended up in hospital. So what had happened is one day she'd woke up. This is like three or two or three days into the. So she has to take letrozole three five days and then stop, and then she goes and gets a scan, sees how many eggs we've got, and then it's like we know how many eggs. It was day two into the letrozole this time, and she got like it looked like she's got an ulcer in her mouth and she was like, oh, really? You know, she woke up with a painful ulcer. You know, like if you've been on a, on a heavy one and you woke up with ulcers yeah, in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. She was like, oh, it's just an ulcer. And just brushed it off. And then later that day, like her tongue was swollen and she was like, this doesn't feel right. I can't really eat anything, anything salty or sweet. Anyway, I was like, look, just wash your mouth out with salt. Just do the normal stuff to try and get rid of like an infection or whatever. Woke up the next day and her mouth was all swollen. So we went to, we, we had Booper, so we called the, the Booper um, GP and they were like, oh, it looks like, uh, oh no, I think we went to the pharmacy first and they were like, oh, just use mouthwash. So she gave us fucking Sensodyne or whatever and, and said, go home, try that. That made it way worse. So the next day she woke up, she couldn't even open a mouth. It was just all swollen. And I was worried about her breathing at this point. So we were like, right, let's just go, um, go to the hospital and see what the crack is. And then she, was, she ended up in hospital for two days on morphine because mm -hmm. she was in so much pain. Um, and it was because the letrozole had given her a bad reaction and she got an infection in her mouth because of the letrozole. So the letrozole had created th this this dose of letrozole, the four times what she started on, it gave her a bad reaction. So we sat in A&E. <laughs> like, this is something we're paying for as well. This super ovulation is, again, it's private. Mm. I can't remember how much it is, but it's like thousands every time. So we were four rounds into this. We sat in the in A&E. And I, she was asleep on my lap with the, haven't had morphine. And I was just like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, this is, it's like so brutal. Cause like, you're just trying so hard to do something that we both want so much. And like, we're now in hospital. So we just, we just, when we got back from hospital, two days later, I was, <laughs> I was going home and I was making a dinner and bringing it in. Cause she was like, hospital food's like, they're bringing food, but don't really like it. I was like, it's okay. I'll go home and make you some dal. So I made, went home, made a dal, brought it in, brought a breakfast, brought like a little bit of porridge, like hot with, like just trying to make it a bit nicer for her. Cause she, she's in hospital. She was mm. surrounded by you know, people with de dementia and Alzheimer's. And it was very intense for her. Like it, when you're in like a hospital and they just, luckily, you know, we're very lucky we got the NHS and mm. she was very well looked after. And I'm, I know, kudos to them. It was incredible. They were all so lovely, but just trying to make it a little bit more, um, comfortable for her when she was there but i can't believe she was in there for two days we got home from that and i, I said let's just let's just give it a rest mm. let's just chill <clears throat> and i actually missed a part of the story um before we start we, we said at that point we're gonna, just going to try naturally for a bit the cycle before so the third cycle of super ovulation the woman was doing a scan you know to see how many eggs we've got in super ovulation and she said have you ever been uh, scanned or tested for pcos and eleanor went this is, by the way, this is three and a half years or three, three and a half years into our journey. And she went, no, no, I've heard of it, but I've never been tested for it. And they went, okay, well, come here. So she was having an ultrasound. And then five minutes, this woman said, this nurse, lovely nurse, she said, oh, you've got loads of polyps on your ovaries. You've got PCOS. Is that right, polyps on the... So they're, 
they're technically follicles, but like they're known as like the name is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Okay. So they're kind of called cysts, but they're actually follicles that basically house immature eggs. Yeah, and so Eleanor, they said, oh, your your ovaries are covered in these mm. in these uh, follicles, these polyps. And Eleanor was like, should I have been tested for this, or should I have known about this before? And the nurses who we were dealing with were like, this is something you probably should have looked at straight away. We didn't know. <laughs> We had no idea. Well, just just on that, do you, do you see this uh, a problem when you're going private that that's maybe some of these things are missed because you're only going for one certain test at a time? Do you, I mean, is this something that could you know could be common? I think sometimes, like when you go privately, they tend to look at things more widely, like across across the board, because I I guess they maybe have like the the time or the capacity to be able to invest in mm. in somebody in an in an individual case a little bit more yeah. but also it can just it it can depend on the clinician you know that was by that was by chance yeah. I mean <clears throat> in terms of PCOS you know it because Eleanor is very slim so yeah. she has something that's called lean PCOS whereas mm. Um, more typically, people may be overweight who have PCOS, so it can be trickier to actually identify in somebody who is slim. Um, so I think it was it was it was lucky that it was picked up on on something like that. And you sure. obviously have like an astute um, sonographer who was probably you know do, doing the ultrasound. We were lucky, and at that point, you know, if that woman hadn't said that nurse, that very lovely nurse, hadn't just said that on an off comment. We probably be sat here now, maybe trying suit ovulation, whatever, you know, continuing. So, anyway, at that point, Eleanor had been again. When as soon as she found out she had PCOS, bless her heart, she was on the internet, she was in these forums, she was trying to find out anything I can do myself. That's what she. That's, that's her. That was all she was thinking about. And then she started to look at PCOS from a diet point of view, which is what exactly why I wanted to speak to you about today. So Eleanor's diet's completely changed mm -hmm. um, in terms of. Um, the things she can and can't eat. So it's all about inflammation. Yep. I mean, do you want to explain a little bit about PCOS and kind of what inf inflammation and what that does and the foods and stuff that she, you know, you should and shouldn't eat because that's something that we've been focusing on since September. And I've seen, an she's seen an improvement, just not in, forget about her ovaries and fertility, but even in her body. Yeah. Like the inflammation everywhere has, is, is completely decreased just because of changing some, you know, making some significant diet changes. It's incredible. Yeah. And a, a key thing in like PCOS is basically insulin resistance. So we mm. produce the hormone insulin and that helps to control our blood glucose levels. And basically people who have PCOS or people who have insulin resistance, their insulin doesn't work quite so, quite so well. And that can cause issues with hormones. So it can kind of like increase male hormones in women such as androgens, um, and it can give women uh, irregular cycles and things like that. So a key thing for, for women to manage is, is insulin resistance. Yeah. So like one of the key things is kind of like looking at potentially the quantity of carbohydrates. So, cause it's carbohydrates that break down into glucose. That's what insulin controls. So we don't have excessive amounts of carbohydrates, but it's more choosing like lower glycemic index ones. Mm. So the, those that like release their glucose that little bit, that little bit more slowly. So it's thinking about things from that perspective, but also you mentioned, you know, inflammation as well. And inflammation, yeah, it can affect PCOS. It can also just like affect fertility in general. So like a Mediterranean style diet is generally like an anti-inflammatory style diet. Uh, so kind of like whole grains, plenty of fruits and veg, nuts and seeds. Um, yeah, like oily fish, omega-3 being kind of like a, a key component of that diet, but trying to manage inflammation levels and then also control kind of like the, the blood sugar and the insulin, uh, they can help basically in, in PCOS management. And I know with Eleanor, she's cut out gluten, yeah. hasn't she? Yeah, completely, yeah. Yeah, and this is, because the thing is, there isn't, say, a, a really strong evidence base behind cutting out gluten for people with PCOS. Like, the evidence isn't necessarily there, but a lot of people say that it helps. So if it if somebody cuts out gluten and it really helps them, then obviously it's working for that individual person. So I think you've always got to kind of like trust your symptoms and 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 what's and what's going on with you, and that's something that's working for her. Massively, yeah. she, she's she probably told you she's ate something, and then an hour later she's got the sh like such a huge bloated stomach. Mm. Yeah, and she's gone, what the fuck's going on? And it, it's it's from like the, the from gluten, yeah. gluten. Gluten. Just just on that, when you talk about insulin resistance, are we talking about people who are pre-diabetic? So with a higher, so if you're waking up in the morning and your blood sugar levels is over 100, then this is something that you need to look at 
So yeah, people can have, so people with like diabetes or even pre-diabetes, often if people carry a little bit of extra weight, yeah. uh, like insulin resistance is often the reason for that. But with PCOS, you can have insulin resistance, but they may not yet be at the point of uh, having elevated okay. blood glucose levels. But it's all kind of like within uh, like a metabolic syndrome. They're all metabolic conditions. So it does mean that people with PCOS are at higher higher risk of getting things like type type two diabetes as well. Didn't know that. Yeah. So, yeah. so d- is, w- would it be would it be worth them to buy like a glucometer to test their blood sugar levels, or is it more just dependent on you know focusing more about the foods that they're eating? Yeah, to be honest, there's there's lots of different things that you can explore. I think, you know, going to going to your GP and understanding like what what are the tests that they recommend? Because like, you know, just as we were saying before, you could take a guess, like you could say it could be that, yeah. could be that, could be that, could be and there's a lot of like, that. you can end up wasting money. Yeah. So I would actually say like go via a healthcare professional, like what what do they actually recommend for you? And I think there is actually like there's a lot to be learned in what's going on in your body from doing various tests. Like I've done um like various like nutrition tests over the years like um you know i've been like deficient in vitamin d at some point deficient in like vitamin b12 because i've like largely plant-based and i wouldn't have known because you can go on like quite happily Mm. and have these nutrient deficiencies but they can actually like well in fact both vitamin d and vitamin b12 like low levels are associated with infertility right so it's like i've now corrected those because i looked at that years ago just because it's like you know it's what i do for work it's something that i'm interested in but like i felt fine so it was only through yeah. my like geeky nutrition nature that I wanted to go and like that I wanted to go and find that out. So yeah, yeah. It, it it can be worth doing these tests, but I would like do tests for a reason and get guidance from like yeah. a healthcare professional. What might be like the most relevant test for you? Well, on that, what about intermittent fasting and um, fertility? So I would say that there isn't real. Okay, there's different ways in which you can intermittent fast. Mm-hmm. So probably like the most common one is like time restricted eating. So yep. say like a 16, eight, for example. So you fast for 16 hours and then you feast if you like for, for eight. And that that really is like it's, it's not too restrictive. Mm-hmm. You can have other types of intermittent fasting like uh, ADF, so like alternate daily fasting where people can have like little to no uh, calories for like 24 hours. So that is more restrictive. Um, I, there isn't really kind of like sufficient evidence to really say one way or another, but I would say with regards to fertility, we don't really want to do anything too extreme. Yeah, yeah. Um, with, funnily enough, like with insulin resistance and with uh, with PCOS, there has been some research to show that like intermittent fasting um, can potentially support women with with PCOS mm. in terms of like supporting insulin resistance and and, and reducing testosterone levels. Um, but yeah, I would say like the research is in its infancy to say like yay or nay and i think with a lot of these things it's about it's about common sense because you don't want to do anything too extreme you don't want to knock your hormones out of balance um so yeah common sense approach is always a good one well yeah the, the, we were talking about the in, in, in mm. the fasting before this because um for christmas oh no sorry father christmas brought eleanor a book um <laughs> From the, library. Library. <laughs> from the library, from the library. We saw our opportunity. <laughs> you got that, in, didn't you? Um, it was a fast like a girl, Doctor. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. I've got the glucose queen. The yeah, she's Charleston. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. good. I, I saw really her for the first time. Yeah, yeah, Eleanor's loving it, and okay. she's and we're obviously trying naturally now. You know, since that 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 episode we had the the, the hospital episode in September, we've been trying naturally, and she got this book this month and. Uh, last month and she said oh maybe i'm going to start fasting now and i'm I'm like i'm not sure i mean i don't know whether it's worth like you said it could completely knock everything out like it's, it's it's a big shock to the system but also it might help who the fuck knows like something yeah, like this yeah. Yeah. exactly and i mean if she does something you know if she's not going too extreme and she's not doing like 24 hour fast and she's yeah. just doing like you know a 16 8 or something like that there's there's no harm mm. in trying it if you guys have you know you've been trying to conceive for x amount of time what what's you know there's no harm in trying something that little bit that little bit different it's just about kind of like not going to the extreme okay yeah absolutely and i think what's funny there is that like when uh, when i mentioned intermittent fasting to everyone we always talk about the 16 8 as being like you know the 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 the, the standard yeah yeah but i might butcher this and someone might tell me in the comments but apparently between fasting just over 12 hours and 16 hours there's actually no real difference that the body gets because you won't tap into autophagy Ah. the only reason why 16 8 is is 
is so famous is because the scientist that was doing the study on on the rats at the time was only allowed from his partner at home to stay in the the lab for 16 no, hours really? at a time and that's where that actually comes to play right. apparently okay. you know it could be completely wrong and i'm, I'm sure someone <laughs> might let me know but um <laughs> but yeah anyway that was my little part there interesting um Moving on from this, actually, I'm, I've spoke. I don't want to go into any more of that journey. To be honest, that is the journey. So, like, fair, fair, that was very brave of you to talk about that as well, Jeff. Yeah, mate. Like, fair play to you, bro. I told you that I didn't want to tell yeah, you any no, about no. this, and I wanted yep. to do it on the podcast. Yeah, well for, done, bro. For the first time, because I didn't want to. I didn't actually want to speak about it before. Yeah, but it's, it, you know, it needs to be said, and I, yeah. I think well done, man. Thanks. I I, th I think that there's a lot of people out there who have who are going through similar things. Whether it's through IVF, whether it's just trying for children, mm. this fuck stuff. This stuff is really hard. Yeah. Different for everyone, mm. but it's 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 it can it can be a difficult journey. Absolutely. And I've struggled to um, know who to turn to to speak yeah. to about this. And I just want people to who anyone's listening. If this conversation can make you feel like you're not on your own, one person feel like they're not. Yeah. Your own, I think this conversation's worth having. Yeah. Um. But moving on from the the journey that I've been on, and it finally kind of ties in but prior to COVID when we were on our DJ music industry journey I'm interested to know what the what affects mm. the lifestyle that we used to lead i.e. late nights drugs and rock and roll drugs <laughs> not much sex <laughs> drugs and rock and roll um so drugs and drink and late nights, jet lag, all those things that are really demanding. Mm. Especially late nights. Like that's what I'm interested to know, like the, the well, impact of that. Let's start with their sleep. What what so, what sort of impact does sleep have on, on, on male fertility, for, for example? Yeah, so sleep or lack of can affect both both, both. male and mm. male and female fertility. So a, a lot of it in terms of like male fertility is the effect of like lifestyle and behaviors on kind of like sperm health and, and, and sperm and sperm quality. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like the, the less sleep that you have, the, the kind of like the, the more stressed your body is in essence, and it's it's not able to work as efficiently as as it could do. So things just aren't as great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sleep sleep does impact it, as does obviously like within this profession. Probably alcohol intake is slightly harder than most careers. Yeah, uh, a lot. A lot. And like you don't so. And like the I think it goes without saying drink and drugs as well. Yeah, yeah. You know? we've, we, we've we've been open about yeah, yeah. our we've, issues yeah, with that, and I'm ass I'm assuming that also has a, an impact. Of course, it's going to have an impact, right? Yeah, because I mean even even things like say you know alcohol for example. So. The good news is um, like low to moderate alcohol intake for men doesn't seem to have too much of a, of a of a negative effect. But when we get to the heavy alcohol drinking, which to be honest, let's face it, is pretty prevalent in the dance music industry, mm, yeah. then it can have an impact on say like testosterone levels, for example, it can lower testosterone levels. And then also, yeah, just in terms of various aspects of, of, of sperm quality. Uh, similarly, yeah, different types of drugs can affect sperm in different ways, but it's negative yeah of course yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and then you know there's smoking mm. of course well. I never even thought about that yeah, one yeah. and then sadly because I know everybody's like moved over to vaping because it's the healthy choice <laughs> yeah, again yeah, inverted but, but actually you know even with that obviously like vaping is a new thing but the research that's coming out already mm. is saying that it's negatively associated okay, okay. With, with, with testosterone with, levels right I've read yeah, that yeah yeah what about um, something that I think a lot of people don't speak about is like stress mm -hmm. how, how does that impact so stress so stress and infertility are definitely linked but what we're not so sure about what the research isn't conclusive on is like you know the chicken and the egg like which causes which does mm. stress cause infertility or does infertility cause stress so we don't really know the answer to that question, but what we do know is that we want to minimize stress because yeah, yeah. like stress makes, you know, a situation that you've gone through, if you throw stress into that, it just makes it like kind of unmanageable. Mm -hmm. So uh, when somebody's going through like a fertility or infertility journey, to have a focus on like stress management, self-care, taking like time for you should, should be a, a part of that to make that journey easier for people to go through. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Just um, as as Ron, how could we improve fertility for men? And what one thing you mentioned earlier was suppl supplementation. Mm. Like, what what are the key supplements to help improve? And food as well, because this is your well, area. Well, this so is where supplements, we're gonna, yeah, supplements, food, everything. Let's, let's let's go there. Yeah. Exactly. Well, okay. So start from start from kind of like the the diet side. So. 
for both men and for women, like the Mediterranean style mm. diet has been shown to kind of be like the most protective uh, dietary pattern for fertility. And you compare it to basically like the Western diet, which is <laughs> our diet, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we want to have like the whole grains, the fruit and veg, and we're talking about, you know, an array of different colors, the nuts, seeds and plant-based proteins, uh, herbs, spices, you know, just the good stuff, yeah. like the healthy mm. fats, the olive oil, the, the omega-3, the oily fish. And to have that as a foundation is a really, really good starting point. And that's it's kind of like an easy foundation, if you mean. I mean, it's not necessarily like easy to execute, but it's easy to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it can get really quite specific in terms of supplements. So like for, for, for women, there's pretty good evidence about using prenatal supplements, which are just basically um, like multivitamins, if you like, but they're tailored for, for fertility and for kind of like the, the nutrients that, that, that are important for, for female reproductive health. And there's been research to show that it can um, reduce time to pregnancy, can increase markers like AMH, which is a marker of ovarian reserve, um, like all sorts of, and just increased chance of pregnancy. So for, for women, I think that's a, is a really good thing to do when you're trying to conceive. Um, for, for men as well, because I mean, what, what these things can do, and especially like thinking about the DJ life, like from the people that I know that work in the music industry, especially when they travel, uh, you know, the, D, the DJ diet might be like, Beige. Oh, it's very beige. Airport food. I'm exactly. white. <laughs> the white like. as possible. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. D just ignore him. <laughs> you, have to, you have to get that in there. But yes, no. The, the diet is, is. I can. I can vouch for it. It's yeah, sandwiches. Yeah. It's yeah. subways. It's yeah. like. Yeah. McDonald's, it's crap. It yeah. is really, it really exactly. Is. So I mean, that that poses, you know, a challenge mm. in itself. Like the the diet being like one of the core foundations. So it's like you know what what can what can people do it's just like every attempt or everything that you can do to kind of you know thinking about antioxidants because when we speak yeah. about like dna fragmentation or uh, like degradation of uh, sperm parameters a lot of it is through oxidative stress so antioxidants that you find in all those nice colorful fruits and vegetables herbs and spices different things like that that can counteract oxidative stress okay. um so anything that we can do to optimize the antioxidant capacity you know even just like you're at Burger King in Ibiza Airport, and they might, they oh, might. Don't, oh, don't. <laughs> Flashbacks, fucking hell. Shudders. And they might do a, they might do a Tropicana. You know? <laughs> yeah. One of your Hell five a you. day, you've yeah. got to take these small wins. <laughs> but little things like that, even if you're there, you get a pot of olives. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, compromise. I'm, I'm compromise. weird. I think about these things and I count the portions of fruit and veg that I have. So I'm like, oh, olives, there's one of my five days. You know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's little things like that. So it's looking like, looking how you can, how you can maximize. So yeah, that's kind of like from, from the diet side. But for... A lot of people who work in this industry, their diet will probably be nutritionally incomplete. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is where supplements can play a role. If your diet is nutritionally incomplete, then a supplement can help to basically fill those gaps. And then some of the uh, some of the nutrients that you'll find within supplements, they say like vitamin E, uh, vitamin C, zinc, and selenium. They're like key antioxidants. Um, so that they can support all those like sperm parameters that we mentioned, and they're they're also antioxidants. So they're so they're really going to help things. So I think a multivitamin, whether it's kind of like a you know a, a, a like a fertility supplement for men or just like a general multivitamin, can be can be really useful. And then in terms of additional supplements, this is when it gets kind of like quite quite tailored. So if somebody has like a low sperm concentration or they have low sperm um, motility or they have DNA fragmentation, the recommended supplements might be a little bit different mm. just basically based upon the the evidence for, for that particular parameter. So like for people, when they're wanting to get to that level of detail, that would be when I say like, go and speak to like a fertility, like dietitian, a fertility nutritionist who can kind of like devise a, a protocol for you. But I, but I do think in people whose diets are nutritionally incomplete and find it difficult to eat that healthy, well-balanced diet, then a, a multivitamin type thing can be very useful. Mm. But you weren't expecting that answer. Uh, no. What it? about oh, yeah. what about stuff like, like vitamin D? Would you recommend maybe a supplementation yeah. of that? I've, I've been reading a lot of studies about how a lot of people are deficient of that. Anyway, would that have a big impact, or is it just? A multivitamin in general. So your multivitamin, I mean, it would be a very, very bad multivitamin if it didn't include vitamin D. 
Um, but yeah, so like public health guidance is that everybody in the UK, because we obviously get no sunshine no, no. in the winter months, everybody should uh, take at least uh, a supplement of 10 micrograms of vitamin D through winter months. And then s- supposing that we get enough sun exposure in the summer, then because t- we can synthesize vitamin D through the yeah, sun, yeah, basically yeah. we can get insufficient amounts from food. Um, so yeah, certainly throughout the the winter. But this is when like the testing comes in. Mm. So it's like if people are you know are genuinely interested in their he- health, go go and get your levels checked. Like mm. see if you are deficient because a lot of people in the UK are deficient in yeah. vitamin D. And like there's a you know there's a there's a rise in plant based eaters as well. So you know there could be other deficiencies such mm. as like vitamin B12 that I mentioned before. So if you have deficiencies, then taking supplements that will cover those particular nutrients, then that is obviously a good thing to do as well. Amazing. Um, just going to move on from there because I'm conscious of time, but I I don't know whether you want to go into this. Um, but you mentioned at the start of the 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 conversation that you're going to be freezing your eggs, and I just wanted to know like what's the next steps for you now. So where are you in that process? If you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. Oh no no. But I I, I think if you if you want to talk about that, that would be great because yeah, I, again it's it's something else that you know you're putting on your social media. So I thought it might be useful for the listeners to know kind of what what's next in that process. Yeah of course. Well yeah, my egg freezing kind 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 of came out of nowhere. Um, but I was in a I was in a long term relationship um, to make the story a little bit sadder. Was actually supposed to be getting married next year. Anyway, things ended relatively abruptly. Uh, so you know, at thirty seven, I'm like, right, okay, I need to then think about what my plan B is. Um, and you know, right now, I don't know whether it is that I want to have children or not in the future. But freezing your eggs, it's a good, it's not a guarantee, but it can be a good semi-insurance policy if you like if you if you are gonna consider having having children in the future especially at my age of you know 37 we know that fertility declines as we age it's for for women and also men as well that people don't actually take into consideration Uh, so yeah so where i am now is uh, i've just had some of my tests so similar to what eleanor will have done uh, to assess my ovarian reserve and because i'm a nutrition geek and i also did them a year ago through like my supplement regime and things that i've been doing my levels have like increased relatively significantly in a year in just a year yeah, that's in the amazing past year, which is like it's pleasing my inner nutrition geek <laughs> uh, and then amazing. yeah so like the next steps for me are i'll start taking my uh tablets on saturday uh, so that will be then for for a couple of weeks, and then I will be visiting my fertility clinic um, to have, yeah, to basically start the process. I'll then be taking the injections. Then they'll be doing, you know, the the scans to understand what's going on, and then my egg retrieval will be next month. Oh, amazing! Just just a quick one on that. Like, what sort of age are we looking at for the decrease in fertility for men? Yeah, because yeah, I'm yeah. 36 in a couple of weeks. So how old are you? 34 next week i'm the oldest damn yeah don't look it all right so for for women generally it tends to be over the age of 35 where we okay. start to see a decline yeah, yeah. but but at the at the clinic they they said actually in terms of like egg quality where they see even more of a drop is kind of like 38 but it's not to say that you mm. know anything is kind of like impossible in terms of in terms of men generally we start to see the decline in b- between the ages of like 40 to 45 okay um and it tends to be in terms of like again it's like it's the sperm quality it just yeah, tends yeah. to it gets worse yeah. as we age and similarly for women because obviously we have an ovarian reserve our eggs deplete so the quantity of our eggs reduce but also the quality mm. and it's the same with sperm and yeah. a lot of it comes from oxidative stress yeah. so things like heavy alcohol consumption smoking uh, you know, different things, these can, like being inactive, this can kind of like increase oxidative stress. And this is why I always bang on about antioxidants because mm. it can help to of kind of like counteract some of that, some of that damage. And that's why yeah, the diet and supplements can play a really so good j- role there. I've got so many questions now. I'm just, I'm looking at the time. <laughs> yeah. like, just one last one though. Um, if you have had, you know, 10 years in the music industry, you've done a lot of damage, will changing your diet, taking supplements, exercising, will that, potentially improve your fertility even though you're getting into you know the the later years yeah good question i'm so glad you asked that question question. it's an amazing question because hopefully i have a good answer um but basically in terms of uh, this is for both men and for women we kind of have like this three month 
window of opportunity, if you like, because for a woman, it takes around 90 to 100 days for an egg to mature and develop before ovulation. Mm. Similarly, for men, it takes around two and a half months for a sperm to, to mature. So during that time, everything that we do within that window uh, can positively okay. influence um, the health of like the, the egg and the sperm. Um, so it can be actually like a really like empowering time. So, you know, if if people say like people are going to start uh, preparing for IVF, then if you're doing that as a couple, then the, the guy and the girl, ideally for the few months beforehand, will just start to optimize yeah. their lifestyle, their diet. And, you know, it's, it's up to everybody the degree to which they want to do it. If people want to, you know, I'm not going completely teetotal for the for the three months before my egg collection i've maybe had like a little bit less to drink but i'm st i'm still having like some alcohol it's, it's it's totally a personal choice but yeah the the that three month window is basically a huge window okay, of opportunity well, okay, that's, 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 that's great to know good question, yeah, yeah. Great Finish, question. Baby. well well thank you so much for coming on um really appreciate you coming and also talking about your yeah, uh, latest journey that's also mm. very brave and yeah. uh yeah, but from both of you, actually, it was it, you know to hear both of you, Jen, it was very bravey, both of you, and uh, I'm sure. I mean, I've got a lot of value from this, and hopefully, uh, a lot of other people will. Um, have you got any plugs for us um, before any, we anything go? else that's coming up? Anything yeah. you want to talk about before we wrap up? I don't. I'm not. I'm not really sure. I'm the, like the, um, the like the audience for listening. <laughs> well, not well, no, no, <laughs> normally we say we ask for an after party yeah, story. Yeah, so, so if you got one of them, go I'm for it. Really <laughs> I'm not really too sure. That's what fine. Offer. But well, yeah, if anybody is interested in fertility, then maybe just the Instagram. So yeah, there we go. Fertility Brilliant. UK. Thank He's you so. I got it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.